Before this week's episode, we would like to say thank you for all the kind reviews and comments we have received on iTunes, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. It really does make a difference and helps the show to grow. So thank you very much. We would also like to thank our newest Patreon members. The support you guys give the show really is appreciated. So a massive thanks and welcome to Victoria Kopeski, Kath White, Kelly M, Kristen Agel, NJ Gitao. Remember, if you too would like to become a patron of the show and receive access to extra monthly episodes, as well as previously uploaded episodes, then find us at patreon.com forward slash Nordic True Crime or see the link in the show notes. Now on with this week's episode. Dental hygiene is something that most people take for granted. A normal, everyday routine, if you will. Having the perfect white smile can even be determined by class or even poverty. In certain countries, sometimes it is only the wealthy that can afford such essential health care. But regardless of a person's economic situation, Brushing your teeth is something that the majority of the world's population does every day. But have you ever wondered where the recommendation to brush your teeth twice a day and limit your intake of sugar originates from? And has it ever crossed your mind that something so simple and routine as brushing your teeth could have a sinister background? This is Nordic True Crime. At the beginning of the 1900s, dental hygiene in Sweden was very poor. The majority of the population had large holes in their teeth. Tooth decay was the norm. At that time, you could only find dentists in the big cities, which meant that people living in the suburbs and smaller towns never had the opportunity to visit a dentist throughout their lives. In addition to this, it was very expensive, and since much of the population struggled to put food on the table from day to day, visiting a dentist was simply out of the question. The people who could afford to visit a dentist often had to be operated on, which meant that they had to take one or two weeks off work in order to fully recover 
This, of course, became very expensive for the country. Having so many people in need of medical care and at the same time having them unable to contribute to society for up to two weeks. The situation for children wasn't much better. Around 83% of three-year-olds had large holes in their teeth and many had to wear prosthetics. Children with false teeth at three years old would be unimaginable for many of us in this day and age. Something had to be done. So in 1924, the government appointed an inquiry team to investigate the possibility of creating a state subsidization of dental care for the people of Sweden. The goal was to make sure that citizens under the age of 17 received free dental care and that adults would receive a subsidized service. It was also decided that state-run dentists would from then on also operate from smaller towns and villages rather than just the big cities. It would also become mandatory for all dentists to work in one of these practices for a period of time on the completion of their education. This was to make sure that there were enough dentists to meet the demand. People were finally getting the essential dental care that they needed. But it didn't take long before the government realized just how expensive this was becoming. They decided that instead of fixing holes in people's teeth, they would focus on what could be done to prevent tooth decay. The medical board began work on a scientific project with specific focus on the cause of tooth cavities. There were already suspicions that it was caused by a large intake of sugar, and there had been some studies done in both England and the USA which pointed in that direction. But there had been no proper scientific testing carried out up until this time. So in 1939, the Swedish government decided that they would be the ones to get to the bottom of this. They wanted to know what the cause was and, more importantly, how to prevent it. Animal testing was the most common method of scientific experimentation at the time. However, it was established that in this particular case, humans would have to be the guinea pigs. The next big question was, of course, who exactly would they carry out the tests on? For the research to be statistically correct, they decided that they needed about 1,000 people to take part. And it was vital that the results were indeed statistically correct, as the government seen this as a way to put Sweden on the map in the world of science. But not only did they need 1,000 willing people, the testing had to be meticulously observed over a long period of time, and this was of course a problem. How would such an experiment be possible? 
How could 1,000 people be monitored so closely at all times? But then they found the perfect solution. Vipaholm. Vipaholm was a hospital which first opened its doors in 1935. It was a hospital which was home to the most feeble-minded, as it was put in those days, uneducated and most severely disabled people in the country. The hospital's purpose was not to try and rehabilitate or help its patients in any way, but simply to contain them. Simply because, at that time, people with severe mental or physical disabilities were seen as people to be ashamed of. So families would simply put their sons and daughters in hospitals like Vipaholm to be hidden away from society. Many were placed there at a very young age and would even spend their whole lives behind the walls of these institutions. At Vipaholm, more than half of the residents were bedbound and unable to communicate with their surroundings. The government saw this as the perfect place to carry out the experiment, because here you had people who would stay in the same place for many years in a controlled environment where their food intake could be closely monitored since many were unable to feed themselves. The proposal to use Vipaholm was approved. The people locked up in these institutions were considered to be a strain on society who did nothing but cost money. Money which could have been better spent elsewhere So why not get some use out of them, in some way or another? It was also the general opinion that severely disabled people were unable to feel the same kind of pain as an able-minded person. So there wasn't any consideration taken in regards to how this would affect the well-being of patients. They were basically treated as second-class citizens. So in 1943, the Swedish Medical Board's Odontologist Research Station was set up inside Vipaholm's hospital. The new gated area consisted of wards for men, women and children. The first task of the scientists was to try and get as close to their test objects as possible to get a clear picture of the condition of their teeth in order to be able to monitor future changes during the experiment period. But this was proving to be much harder than originally thought. Many of the patients were unaccustomed to meeting people other than the staff at the hospital. Many were scared of any human contact due to the severe beatings they had suffered and some already had problems with communicating as a result of their disabilities. So they were confused and scared 
at having strange people opening their mouths and looking inside. So the dentists try their best to examine patients without having their fingers bitten off. But they soon realized that this method was just not going to work. They decided that the way forward would be to give the patients a sedative before carrying out an examination and in regards to having that extra security and peace of mind, a biting block was inserted into the patient's mouth to stop them from biting down when under the effects of the sedative. The test numbers were soon reduced from 1,000 down to 660 people. This was because the government had decided that none of the patients should be made to be part of the experiment by the use of excess force. For example, no patient should have their mouth forcefully opened during the experiment, so the numbers dropped but the total was still deemed to be high enough to achieve a statistically correct scientific result. By 1946, the first test was complete. It was called the vitamin test. There had been studies carried out which showed that there was a possibility that a lack of vitamins and minerals could be the cause of tooth cavities. So in cooperation with a pharmaceutical company, the project was given a vast number of different vitamins and minerals, among them fluoride, in an attempt to establish if this could be a preventative solution to tooth decay. Seven groups were given different vitamins and minerals, whereas one group was excluded in order to have an untested group to compare the results to. Everyone received the exact same food, which was a healthy and nutritious combination of different meals. Prior to the experiment, the everyday food at Vibeholm had been anything but nutritious, and one and a half years later into the experiment, it was noted that patients started to gain weight and were less prone to infections. Unfortunately, there was no scientific proof that the vitamins and minerals could prevent cavities. The patient's teeth were still in the same state as they were when the experiment started, and this was somewhat embarrassing for the medical board. They were more or less expected to present some sort of evidence or findings to the government, since the project had cost a lot of taxpayers' money. This caused some controversy, because unlike today, Sweden was a poor country at the time, and in pushing through the new dental reforms, this meant that taxpayers' money was redistributed from the richer to the poorer. And naturally, amongst the rich, this was not a popular decision. The government was in a tough position. 
They needed evidence which could prove that by giving minors free dental health care and subsidizing adult care, it would actually save taxpayers more money in the long run. The big question was, how were they going to get the hard evidence they required? In a desperate attempt to try and save the situation and gain some credibility, the medical board decided to change direction without the involvement of the government, hoping that they would get the results needed. They focused on something that dentists had suspected as the culprit of tooth decay for some time, sugary sweets and candy. Even though it had been suspected of causing tooth cavities, it had never been proven, and the medical board saw this as the perfect opportunity to prove what had yet been scientifically tackled. But this was a complete turnaround from what the government had tasked the medical board with at the start of the program. The experiment was all about trying to find a preventative method in the battle against cavities the medical board now took the drastic approach of actively trying to deteriorate patients' teeth in order to prove that sugar was the main cause of tooth decay. And since this was completely against the initial assignment, they decided not to ask for approval and simply went full steam ahead with the new approach, hoping that the test results would make up for their discrepancies. The new experiments started in 1947 with the new focus of provocation in favor of prevention. At the time, the demand for candy and other sweets was high in Sweden, since sugar rationing came to an end after World War II. So instead of working with a pharmaceutical company, the scientists contacted a chocolate company. They asked them if they wanted to donate chocolate to the project, stating that it was probably in their interest to see if and how their products affected people's teeth, since there were rumors that sugar was the cause of tooth decay. This was their chance to prove the critics wrong, once and for all. The business owner accepted the proposition and donated the requested chocolate to the scientists. Other businesses in the confectionery industry began to team up with the project group, and in return, they ordered chocolates and toffees for the experiment, which were readily available on sale to the general public. But they also ordered a custom-made super sticky toffee, which was not sold in the stores. The sole purpose of this was because they needed something which was better at sticking to the teeth. In total, the project group was given 536 kilos of hard candy, 19,838 kilos of toffee, 8,258 kilos of hazelnut cola, and 1,300 kilos of chocolate.
They continued to feed the patients the same nutritious food as they had previously done, but some groups were given a certain amount of toffees or chocolate in addition to their normal meals. Some even got sugar in their water or had it sprinkled over their food. The best results could be achieved if the patients could constantly have something in their mouth to chew on so that the deterioration would be continuous. The hospital staff would feed the patients who couldn't feed themselves and would write down every single thing that was given to them. This was of great importance as everything needed to be meticulously documented for the experiment to be legitimate, which was a must if it was to be used internationally. And international recognition was of course one of the goals of the study. But then a problem surfaced, a problem which threatened to jeopardize the study. The patients, who were more physically able than others, started swapping candy with each other. This meant that the different test groups were no longer divided and the test results was therefore in danger of becoming invalid. So in order to prevent this from happening, the different groups were fed far apart from each other in the exercise yard and fences were erected to keep them apart in what presumably now looked like a prison yard. After one and a half years of feeding patients with different kinds of candy and chocolate on a daily basis and without them having brushed their teeth even once, the results were starting to show. On average, patients who had been eating the toffees and chocolate had received 10 new cavities. The highest amount of holes received by one person was 17. The holes were very large and deep, all the way into the pulp. The patients must have been in absolute agony. But since they were considered as the less desirable members of society, none of the holes were treated throughout the experiment. They just left them alone in excruciating pain and continued to feed them with candy making the situation worse, day by day. When the medical board heard about the results, the general director travelled to Vibeholm and told them that the experiment needed to stop. But when there, he was convinced by the project group to let the experiment continue, because in order for them to get statistically correct results, they needed the project to carry on that bit longer. And for six more months, the residents of Vilpaholm continued to be fed with a vast amount of sugary treats every single day. The project was allowed to continue, even though they now knew that it was a fact that sugar was severely damaging the patient's teeth. When the two-year trial was up, they still didn't stop because everything was going so well and smoothly. So why stop? 
it was also agreed that this would now be the perfect opportunity to try out some other experiments they had in mind. But for this to happen, they needed more funding, and since the government was still under the impression that the project was still working towards a preventative tooth decay method and not something completely different, they couldn't get more funding from that source. Another strategy was required in order to attract other sponsors. And that's when they contacted the Association of the Confectionery Industry. In return for them sponsoring further experiments at Vipaholm, they were promised reports of the results, which they would be able to use, such as reports on less damaging sweets or data which they could use to make modified recommendations on the amount of intake of sugary sweets. Basically, whatever information they needed to help them sell more candy. They agreed and sponsored the project with large sums of money. In fact, it was the same amount of money as the taxpayers had contributed to the original experiments. But this now meant that the industry had bought their way in and therefore could make some demands. They wanted the scientists to research what impact a normal consumption of sweets would have on a person's teeth, resulting in a two-year extension of the experiment. The final reports and findings were presented in 1953. The general director of the medical board also wrote a book about the connection between carbohydrates and cavities. This, of course, angered the Confectionery Association, who had sponsored the project, since they, understandably, didn't want this kind of information to become public knowledge, and they did their very best to try and halt the production of said book. The medical board now knew exactly what was causing the cavities and how it could be prevented by reducing the intake of carbohydrates and sugar. Their initial idea was to recommend that the government heavily tax all sugary sweets, but they soon realized that this would really provoke the already livid confectionery industry. And there was also the fact that the candy industry employed a large number of people. So if people couldn't afford candy, then people would lose their jobs. They needed to have a rethink. And that's when they heard about reports coming from Norway who were claiming to have found a connection between fluoride and stronger enamel, something which they had themselves missed in their initial experiments with the vitamins. And this now meant that there was no need for restricting the amount of candy being sold, since they now knew of a preventative method. The experiments at Vipaholm had sparked a debate in the country, but sadly not for the ethical aspects of the tests, but because the project had been sponsored by the industry which they had been trying to prove as the cause of the problem. It wasn't until a student who was filling in as a part-time carer at Vipaholm told his story 
of what he had witnessed inside the hospital at the time of the experiment. He said that the staff was more or less sadists who would regularly beat the patients with leather straps. Many were tied up in their beds 24 hours per day, never being allowed to get up and move around by their own free will. This information led to the arrest of several staff members who were eventually convicted in a court of law. The reports from the experiments at Vipaholm are unique and change the future of dental care. The importance of working on preventative methods was discovered and the dentists no longer just fixed large cavities, but also spoke to children of the importance of looking after your mouth, as well as the impact of eating too much candy. This discovery had a massive impact on people's lives, with the widespread awareness of dental care slowly working its way throughout the country. In addition to this, it also saved the taxpayers a vast amount of money since people no longer had the same problems with cavities as they once did. But this knowledge came at a very high cost. At the expense of 660 people who didn't have a say on the matter or even had a clue as to what they were being subjected to. They never had a voice. And even if they did, nobody would have considered their wishes. Instead, they were forced to eat sugary treats until their teeth rotted away. And when that happened, they were left alone to suffer in agony. All because they were considered to be society's misfits. So the history of tooth decay prevention is maybe something to consider the next time you brush your pearly whites. Guns, knives, poison, bombs. Time and again, assassins have sought to change the course of history through one single, terrible act. I'm Neil Cooper, the host of Assassinations Podcast. Join me each week as I explore the darker side of history. New episodes are released every Monday and are available on iTunes and our website, Assassinations Podcast. Hey True Crime listeners, check out our podcast, I Said God Damn. We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by two besties who like to share messed up cases that make you say God damn. 
Every Sunday we try to one-up each other's story by sharing a horrific case the other has never heard of. Along the way we splash in some wildly inappropriate jokes and colorful language. Listen every Sunday from any of your favorite podcast directories. Also, follow us on Twitter at ISGDPodcast or visit our website, isgdpodcast.com.